0: All right, let's go ahead and take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter number 6. This will be the final uh, message in this series of the Lord's Prayer. Um, Everybody should have a handout, and uh, it's entitled tonight, the lesson is entitled Forgive Us and Lead Us, and uh, this will be the the final two verses we'll look at in the Lord's Prayer. Of course, uh, the chapter goes on. Uh, and it's not that those things are not important but we're uh, primarily we were covering this as a topical study and uh, so we were looking at uh, primarily the Lord's prayer. Uh, let's go ahead and read these two verses and then uh, we're going to pray again so we can uh, get into the message tonight. Matthew chapter number 6 verse number 12. Uh, the Bible says, "And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation." But deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Father, we pray now that you'll help us as we look to your word and we study tonight. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes to the truths that are in front of us this evening. And Father, may we be encouraged by what we've learned in this series of the Lord's Prayer. And Father, may they be truths that we do not easily forget. We thank you for this opportunity Uh, we have to look to these wonderful texts together. And uh, Father, may we learn the great lessons as you taught your disciples. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, if you'll look at those two verses, forgive us as we forgive our debtors and lead us. Uh, If you mark in your Bible, you may want to mark the phrase, forgive us and lead us. Originally, I set out to do this in two different messages. We were going to do one message or one lesson on verse 12 and then do one on verse 13. And the more I studied it, the more I looked at it, the more I realized these two things go together. They go together because as Jesus is bringing this to a conclusion, he's tying thoughts together. In other words, we would not request verse 13 had there not been a verse 12. And we would not request verse 12 had there not been a verse 13. There is a connection between these two particular thoughts. Now, we know what Jesus has been doing here. Uh, He has been talking and teaching about the things, about the glory of God. And the last week and then today, we're dealing with those things that are conducive to our life here. But remember, we're also looking at our life as uh, what it is to be uh, heavenly members or to be part of uh, the kingdom of God. Uh, when we think about what God is doing and we think about what God has doing by teaching us through prayer, uh, we have to remember we, are, we have a dual citizenship. Uh, we are living here on this earth, but according to the word of God, we are also at the same time citizens of heaven. So our conduct here in this life should be conduct that is becoming of a heavenly citizen. Okay, that's the idea here. So although we can't live sinlessly, uh, it's interesting that I, I just told you we got the new Spring Free Grace broadcaster on radical depravity. That reminds us that we're not sinless, but we are, in fact, supposed to be acting as if we are already in heaven. We're heavenly citizens. Now, we almost say, how is this possible? How can we live the Lord's Prayer, number one, and especially these last two? How can we be forgiven and how can we be not led into temptation? That's the connected thoughts here. Uh, Don't turn there tonight, but in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, verse 33, the Bible says this, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it on their hearts. In Jeremiah 33, 8, the Bible says, I will pardon all their iniquities. So when the Lord begins teaching again, and he's teaching these last two verses we're looking at, he begins with the forgiveness of sin. And then he adds to a request for protection from temptation. So we have this forgiveness of sin and we have a request for protection from temptation to be able to stand against all temptation and to be delivered from that temptation. So when we think about forgiveness, and we had a whole series a couple months ago about forgiveness. But I want you to notice in verse number 11, the request is, and forgive us our debts. Forgive us the things that we deserve, the things we owe. Forgive us for our transgressions. Forgive us of our sins. Sin is plain. It is what his intent here. Forgive us for those things. Forgive us for those trespasses. Now, what does that mean? Forgive us of our debts as we forgive our debtors. What does a debt do? A debt requires a payment. A debt requires something to be paid in exchange for it. So the idea here is to request to be forgiven of that debt is to have the obligation of death removed. Okay? So here's what we know. We know that the wages of sin is what? Death. So the forgiveness of sin is a request for the obligation of death that we owe to be removed. Don't hold me to what I owe. Our sins have put us in this position. Give us a pardon not only for sin today, but the sins of the past and the sins of the future. So we have here the prayer of a sinful man. Remember, the Lord's prayer does not make you complete and perfect. If you prayed this prayer verbatim, word for word, every single morning, every single time at noon, and every time before you went to bed, you would still be a sinful person. You would still need forgiveness. So remember, this is not just a prayer that's to be given to us so that we just simply repetitiously pray it. It's given to us as a pattern. That's what this whole thing has been about. It's been about a pattern of prayer. So there ought never be a time in our life when we pray and there is not a confession of sin. Now you'll notice in your handout there, number one, and these are very simple thoughts tonight. Again, I, I'm, again I'm, not, uh, I'm not trying to be too simplistic with these things, but I'm trying to give us something just to, to grab hold of. But number one in your outline there is simply this, the prayer of a sinful man, cannot be complete without confession of sin, okay? The prayer of a sinful man cannot be complete without confession of sin. In other words, no prayer of any sinful man can ever be right if there's no confession of sin. Every time I go to the Lord in prayer, there ought to be an acknowledgement and a confession of my sin. Now we think about this often, and again, this isn't meant to make us say, "Oh man, I, I prayed right before dinner, and I didn't pray for forgiveness of sin." the The idea here is is that when every time we go before God, we know that we need forgiveness. Okay. Now, there, there was a time when your sin was forgiven and your salvation, and that forgiveness is eternal. That forgiveness is never going away. Uh, if, 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 if you never prayed another prayer, you're not going to lose your salvation. If you never ask God to forgive you of another sin, you're not going to lose your salvation. However, it should be the pattern and the habit of a believer to constantly be confessing sin. Why? Because sin is always a problem. Sin is a problem for you every day. It's a problem for me every day. If if I stood here today and gave you the list of the things that God's bringing to my mind now of what I've done wrong today, I can tell you already, I've got a list of things I need to confess. Now you say, you shouldn't be that transparent. That's the reality. We know in our heart that every time we pray, we've got something to confess. So prayer that does not seek pardon will always fail. Remember the prayer of the Pharisee and remember the prayer of the publican? The prayer of the Pharisee was, I'm thankful that I'm not like this man. And the other prayer, the prayer of the the, the publican, or the tax collector was simply, he could not even look to the Lord and he he smote himself on the chest. He said, uh, be merciful to me. The reality here is, is there always must be a prayer, forgive us our debts. Our Lord always knew we would have debts to owe. Now, praise God, our ultimate debt has been paid for. Jesus Christ has paid that sin debt, but we will always need to cry, forgive me. Forgive me. That's the prayer of a man who knows Because of what Jesus Christ has done, I know that I always need to come to my father seeking forgiveness. As a child goes before his parents or before his father and he's done something wrong, he's asking his father, please forgive me. Again, this is not about uh, just a repetitious or habitual. This is about the prayer of a person who truly knows they have been forgiven. So no part, nobody can have a single day when they can say, I did not need to pray for forgiveness today. Every day should be forgive us or forgive me. But notice he says, forgive us. Often you might find when we pray, and sometimes when I pray, as we pray corporately, I often use that expression, forgive us of our transgressions. Now, I'm not doing that to draw you in to say you're all a bunch of filthy sinners. But what I am saying is I realize if I'm honest with myself, I understand I need forgiveness and odds are pretty good you need forgiveness. And we're saying forgive us corporately or forgive us together. We all need the forgiveness of God. So the prayer of a sinful man is never going to be complete without a confession of sin. Again, we're not just doing this to get through the day or to get through the prayer, but we're doing this because there has been a realization that we need forgiveness. But now the second part of this is tougher. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Notice it doesn't say if you forgive your debtors. It says as as we forgive our debtors, forgive us. So number two, prayer without being willing to forgive others, it should be others, not others, forgive others is vain and proud. So if I can say, listen, uh, Lord, I want you to forgive me, but I'm not going to forgive other people, that shows the vanity and how pride has crept into us as we forgive our debtors. Now, We know that man cannot grant complete forgiveness that washes away sin. That's why it's foolish to go and confess your sins to another person because a man cannot absolve you. A man behind a curtain cannot absolve you from your sin. He cannot even grant a single ounce of true forgiveness, forgiveness of sin. So what are we forgiving? We're forgiving the offense against us. Now, we're not forgiven. We, the sin, we can't absolve him. We, we cannot remove it from that debt or from that offender. But what does it mean to forgive a debtor? What do we do when we forgive our debtors? We forgive those who have done us injury. We don't seek revenge. Uh, we don't bear malice upon them or think evil thoughts. This prayer is literally we're praying that we don't, we don't pray for God to, to pour out divine vengeance on them. I know people that say, I've forgiven them, and then their first prayer that night is, pour out divine vengeance on them and burn them up, Lord, as you see fit. If this be your will, burn them up. That's not the idea here. Sometimes we think, well, I have forgiven them, but I, they, they get, I hope they get their just what they deserve what we're doing is we're lifting up our hands to the Lord and we're saying, Lord, as we, you forgive us, we forgive those who owe us something. Prayer without being willing to forgive others is vain and proud. The only pardon we can receive from the Lord is when we pass over the offenses of others towards us. In other words, when we ask for forgiveness, we need to be willing to forgive what others have done to us. We expect God to forgive us when we ask, right? I mean, if you go to the Lord in prayer and you say, Lord, forgive me, you expect that the Lord's going to hear that prayer and the Lord is going to forgive you. That's the idea. Well, we're supposed to, if we're going to do that and expect the Lord to forgive us, how can we not forget those forgive those that have harmed us? Do we get forgiveness from God because we've earned it? No, we get forgiveness. Do we get it because we've gotten better? Not really. We get forgiveness because God is continually merciful and he continues to forgive, not because we've done anything to get better. It's reasonable. This, this is a reasonable thought. If I read this and I say, look, this is impossible for me to forgive people who've harmed me. This is, God is asking me to be unreasonable. This is not unreasonable when you consider what God has forgiven you for. You realize when you got saved, God forgave you for the sins that you committed today, the day you got saved. He knew these sins today that affected you this very day, this Wednesday, this today. He, when you got saved, he forgave those sins that you committed today. That's pretty remarkable. God didn't save you and then say, okay, I'm going to forgive you as long as you keep up a perfect record and never sin again. Thank God that wasn't the case, right? Because if if all we get is forgiveness, if we do right, then none of us are saved tonight and we're all still in big, big trouble. So the Lord knows what our heart really is. If I'm asking the Lord for forgiveness, am I really willing to forgive others or am I simply just asking God to forgive me for my own selfish reasons? So... It would not be safe, I think is the best way to put it. It would not be safe for God to forgive a man or a woman who wouldn't forgive others. This is, a, this is a intentional, diligent, hearty forgiveness of anybody who may have done wrong to me. Again, you don't know what people have done to me and I don't know what people have done to you. But here's how we look at it. If God could forgive me in my sin and my sin that continues, my depravity that keeps raising its ugly head, if God can continue to forgive me, what excuse do I have to not forgive someone who's done an offense to me? That's it's the only way that's ever gonna make any sense, folks. It's never gonna make any sense if we because if you look at it from a human perspective, there's a there's hundred people in your life who who if don't deserve forgiveness. It really is. I mean, if you think about it, if you you took record of everybody who's done you wrong, you've got at least 100 people who, they don't deserve forgiveness. But I didn't either. God didn't forgive me because I deserved it. And I still don't know exactly why. But biblically, I am forgiven. So what is the prayer? Forgive me as I forgive all who in some sense, are my debtors. People who owe me something because of their offense. So prayer without being willing to forgive others is vain and proud. Number three, the prayer of a believer needs and requests deliverance from evil. Now we know that sin is a problem. But what could be the bigger problem and our blind side or our blind spot is temptation. Temptation is not sin. Okay, temptation is not sin. Temptation is the very thing that will lead to sin if it's allowed to continue. So look at verse 13. He says, After he says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the prayer of a believer needs and requests a deliverance from evil. The term temptation is a term that's used in the Bible in a couple of different ways. In one way, it's used to signify a trial. Okay, so temptation, sometimes when you see it in the Bible, it's not temptation to sin. It's a trial. It's, a, it's an affliction. Okay, and that's in a general sense. But it's also sometimes used to express God's trials of people's faith. Sometimes God sends temptation, not sin temptation, but trials of his people's faith and their obedience. Now, the lead us into temptation, he's talking about the temptations, not so much about what God leads us to try our faith, but the temptations that come either from our own depravity, from our own lusts, James 1, 13 and 14, or from Satan. So the prayer here is lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So here's how we kind of know that this part of the prayer is about delivering us from our own lusts and deliver us from Satan. We know the Bible calls Satan the tempter. There are temptations which we should be praying against. There are temptations that we say, listen, Lord, deliver me from the temptation of my own lust. That's why I said verse 12 and 13 are connected. Forgive me of my sin. Lead me away from my own sinful lust. Lead me away from the things that so easily tempt me that i fall into sin now remember god does not lead man into temptation of sin however I don't miss this there are times when god has used sinful nations sinful people to try his own people we can talk about in the book of in the old testament when god for example used the assyrians to rise up against israel they were a sinful nation, but God used them. It doesn't make God the author of sin, but God, in His providence, He allowed that temptation, that affliction. So we have to understand here that this doesn't remove, uh, mean that everything that we deal with, uh, doesn't mean that we can say we'll never have any of these struggles or any afflictions. But the prayer does say, but deliver us from evil. Now, typically, when you see that word evil in the Bible, it typically does mean the evil one. It means Satan or his demons. But it's also the evil of our own temptation, the evil of our own lust. Our lusts are temptations. When we we struggle with lust, that's a temptation, That's something that is going to lead us into sin. And the prayer here is, is Lord, uh, don't allow these things to overcome me. Don't allow the temptations of my own depravity or the the temptations that the devil puts in my way. Don't let those lead me away from you. So in the course of God's providence, in the course of God's sovereignty, the Lord sometimes does test our, our faith. He tests our obedience. He tests the sincerity of our profession. He allows things into our life to see, will you stand? Now again, not to commit sin, but affliction, trial, struggle. Now, if we're asking God to deliver us from that, let's, let's use this in a, in, a, in a way. We could ask the Lord, Lord, don't, don't allow that temptation or that affliction or that trial to be, Too severe. Don't allow it to be something that uh, that ruins my joy or brings sorrow. But if I am tempted by your temptation, by the Lord's afflictions, here's a here's a here's a great truth. Sometimes in those afflictions that God sends, we're most prone to fall into wicked sin of our own lust. Does that make sense? In other words, when God sends a trial or an affliction in our life that's meant to test our faith, test our obedience, test our profession, and by the way, not not temptation to sin. I hope everybody's following that. The temptation to try our faith. We could say, Lord, even through the trials and afflictions that you send, uh, don't allow me to fall away into sin through that affliction. Job is the perfect example. In all this, what does it say? Job sinned not. That lesson is because with the affliction, now who was behind the affliction of Job? Satan. He requested permission from God. God granted him permission and Satan wreaked havoc in Job's life. But it was all by the sovereign, providential hand of God. Through that test, through that trial... Through that affliction, there was the temptation, and even Job's wife said what? Why don't you curse God and die? So in that temptation, the Lord's testing of us, there could be the temptation by our own depravity, by our own sin, to blame God and run away from God because the affliction's too hard. That's the idea here, okay? So... There are temptations we pray against very specifically, pray against the things that, that bring evil into our lives, but understand that there are also times in our life when the Lord brings things as affliction and you're asking God, preserve me, that I do not give in to the temptation of my own depravity when you are trying me. So when we think about this, we understand that this is, this is a fight, this is a struggle. I always, when I think about Jesus teaching his disciples this, I wonder how much of this they actually comprehended. In other words, did they really get what Jesus was saying about all this? I mean, did they look at this and say, yeah, we have got this. We know what you're talking about, Jesus. I don't think they did. Because Jesus, throughout his ministry with those men, he was constantly telling them things like this. You can't bear this right now. These truths, and these truths that they were beginning to learn, I don't think they fully comprehended everything that he was saying. I gave you a quote there from Matthew Henry that I thought was very, very good. It says, We are taught to hate and dread sin while we hope for mercy, to distrust ourselves, to rely on the providence and grace of God, to keep us from it, to be prepared to resist the tempter, and not to become tempters of others. Here is a promise. If you forgive, your heavenly Father will also forgive. We must forgive as we hope to be forgiven. Those who desire to find mercy with God must show mercy to their brethren. Christ came into the world as the great peacemaker, not only to reconcile us to God, but one to another. So part of this prayer is bringing us to a place, reminding us of even that whole series on forgiveness. It's a theme, even in our prayer. We're praying for forgiveness. We're praying for deliverance. We're praying to not be led into temptation. So number four, prayer should always end in praise. That phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Now, what's interesting, and if you want to turn there, you can, but over in Luke chapter number 11, verse number 4, uh, this this is a similar passage. But I want you to notice there's something omitted here. Uh, Luke 11, uh, chapter number, or Luke, Luke chapter 4, verse number 11. Now, in this context, I'm going to go back and I'll read verse number 1. Just, I want you to see this. It says, that it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, "'Lord, teach us to pray,' as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, "'When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, how it would be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil.'" Now, what's omitted here is what Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse number 13, which is this doxology or this praise. Doxology is another word for praise. Now, there's, there's, different, there's different commentaries and commentators who, who have thoughts on why that was omitted there. And, you know, Luke 11, 4, most people say that uh, this, is, this is not the same. He was teaching them at a different time. This was not exactly the, the, same, uh, the same time as which he was teaching in Matthew number six, chapter number 6. But notice that this, this phrase, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. The words show us that the honor and the glory of God ought to be the very purpose of our prayer. This goes all the way back to when we started this. In the very first part, our Father, which art in heaven, how would be thy name? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. What is the end purpose of prayer? The honor and glory of God. God's honor, God's glory. That is who we seek. It is seeking his righteousness. It's seeking his kingdom. It's seeking his glory. Why does he deserve the honor and the glory and the praise? Because of what he has done for us and his grace and his mercy. Prayer is never to be about us. Not ultimately. Now, within this Lord's Prayer, we've realized we are supposed to ask for things and we are supposed to request things. Like we looked at last week, give us this day our daily bread. However, realize that the prayer is meant to bring glory and honor to to God. Prayer ought to always finish with a doxology. Many people don't think about this, but prayer is often a devotion. A devotion is a reminder of who God is. That phrase, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, it is letting God have those titles that should be ascribed to him. That God might uphold his authority, that God may keep his right to rule. God would honor his own government. Our whole heart delights in the fact that God is sovereign, God is supreme, and God is gloriously king. Notice that little word at the end, amen. People often say, what's the purpose of that? Amen is a term of an agreement. When we pray together and we say amen together, we're agreeing with what the person praying just said. Now, if he's prayed right, you ought to agree. If he's prayed wrong, you ought not to agree. If a man stands up and prays for his own honor and his own glory and he says, Lord, uh, make me, elevate me, make me great, make me grand, and he says, amen, you should not amen him. But if he says, God, you have the honor and the glory and the praise and the authority and the kingdom and the rule forever and ever and ever. And we want to see your kingdom and we want to see your glory. We want your name to be hallowed. And he says, Amen, you Amen with him. Amen is... The close of a sentence, it's an agreement. It signifies a desire to be heard. It's kind of like ending the prayer and say, Lord, okay, I've said all I'm going to say. Now I want to be heard, but I also want your glory to be the very first and foremost of everything I've asked for. But it also signifies something else. It signifies, number one, truth, and it signifies certainty. When we pray to this almighty God who is in complete control, we're praying in the truth, with the truth, and to the truth. Okay? And it's certain. These things will be so whether we pray them or not. In other words, God's going to receive the glory. God's going to receive the praise. God's going to receive the honor. This is God's people desiring, just like we read in the very introductory thoughts to this, that our ultimate purpose and reason for prayer is the glory of God. So Jesus will never, as our King, will never refuse a prayer which is directed to the Father with the intent of glorifying the Son. When the glory of God is at the heart of our prayer, those are the prayers God hears. Those are the prayers that God desires to answer. Now we think about this, and again, there's no way that even in just a few weeks we could actually fully pull out of this every possible truth that we could get. But when you read this, the words of this prayer, these ought to be precious words. They ought to be words that remind us of who we are. My whole hope was this, when we started this, was not just some kind of a, uh, an intellectual, factual uh, lecture, but that it would sink deep into us. And what, what is it really to be able to pray to a God like this? To be able to have access to God that we actually have been invited to pray unto the Lord and how important is forgiveness? How important is the forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ? When we've obtained that mercy, when we've obtained the mercy of his forgiveness, we're asking God, now Lord, keep us from doing the very thing which you've saved us from. Keep us from sinning. This is really the, because what does sin do? It takes away from the glory of God. Every time I sin, I'm hindering God's glory. Now, God's going to get the glory either way. But folks, I've been left here, you've been left here to do what? To glorify God. Every time I sin, every time I'm sinning, I'm failing to glorify God. This prayer is a prayer of deliverance. God, you're the glory, you're the reason. Keep me from sinning. Don't lead me into temptation. Forgive me for the sins that I do commit. Lord, don't lead me into anything that would take away your glory. That's the idea. Why is it a perfect pattern? Because the Lord gave it. People say, well, who who says this is the right prayer? Because the Lord said it is. It's the perfect pattern. It is fit for man to pray. It is suitable for us to be able to say, Lord, I put this before you. I bring this before the throne of grace. This ought to be the pattern of every one of our prayers. Now, again, it's not by the words that you say. It's not about, do I say all these words and do I say them exactly in that order? It is the pattern and the principles. Realizing, okay, when I go to the Lord in prayer, am I truly coming with a desire for his name to be hallowed and his kingdom to come and his will to be done? Before I ever ask the Lord for anything, Oftentimes our prayer starts off with, hey, Lord, I need, instead of, Lord, how would be your name. And by the way, I do have need of daily bread. I do have a need. But then we get to the end when the Bible tells us, forgive us of our sins. And as we forgive others who sinned against us. Keep us from sinning. Keep us from temptation. Keep us from the things that rob the glory of God. The desire is we ought to be able to follow this pattern for the rest of our lives and say, this is the the pattern of how my prayer life should be. I'm always amazed at how few believers actually know how to pray. And you say, you actually have to learn to pray. I believe you do. I don't think you just know how to do it. And I understand there's a lot of things we could talk about. This is just one one section. I realize there are a whole lot of other portions of Scripture that talk about prayer. But for this this period, this is the perfect model of how every prayer ought to be framed. And I hope it'll help us as we think about it going forward. All right, so uh,